Oh, hi. <laughs> Today on Inside Politics, hello, New Hampshire. We are live from Shabashan Restaurant in Manchester, the new center of the political universe. I was just saying hi to Nikki Haley, by the way. She'll be here in a minute. At least for the next seven days, this is the political center of the universe. Today, Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis will be here just hours after Trump's landslide win in Iowa, plus the last best hope to stop the Trump-Biden nightmare. That's Nikki's Hale, Nikki Haley's pitch as she tries to frame this as a two-person race, even though she did finish third in Iowa last night. As I said, I'm going to speak with her here in Manchester, along with the New Hampshire governor and uh, one of her biggest supporters, Chris Sununu, in a live joint interview. And the former president is celebrating his Iowa win right now at a familiar campaign stop, a New York City courthouse. He is not required to attend his defamation trial in New York today. He wants to be there. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, Trump dominates the frigid temperatures and dozens of criminal charges did not turn Republican voters in Iowa away from Donald Trump. They showed up for him bigly. Uh, but as you can see, quite literally over my shoulder, the other candidates uh, are still in the race, particularly Nikki Haley. She is here in Manchester at this restaurant, shaking hands, trying to continue her campaign and get every vote she can, even though Donald Trump made history in the Iowa caucuses. He carried 98 of the 99 counties, winning nearly every demographic, according to CNN entrance polls. In his victory speech, Trump acted like the race is over, while DeSantis and Haley, who lost by more than 30 points, tried to spin their second and third place finishes as wins. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. In spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, We've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Right now, Donald Trump is inside the building that you see there on the screen, the Manhattan Federal Courthouse. He chose to be there. We're going to put it up on the screen, I believe. There you go. Chose to be there mere hours after his emphatic Iowa win. It tells you everything you need to know about how for him, the courtroom and the campaign trail are one and the same. This is the trial that will determine how much he'll pay for defaming E. Jean Carroll, who accused Trump of sexually assaulting her in a department store dressing room. CNN's Kristen Holmes is in Atkinson, New Hampshire, where Trump will be speaking later today. Kristen, we had a uh, very short overnight flight from Iowa to New Hampshire. We're here and you're back out in the snow. Yeah, in a balmy 25 degrees. I couldn't be more comfortable here. Now, I do want to make one thing clear. You know, you talk about how these candidates, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, are saying that this is a two-man race. Well, in some ways, to the Trump campaign, it is with both of them. In Iowa, it was Trump versus Ron DeSantis. They were looking at those numbers. They believed they had to essentially bury Ron DeSantis. That's why you saw all of those attacks. They continually saw these polls that had large margins. But when I was talking to senior advisors, they just weren't sure that they were as large as the polls were indicating. Now in New Hampshire, it is it is somewhat of a two-man race, according to senior advisors, between Trump 
and Nikki Haley. Now, for the former president's part, he is not going to change anything about his strategy. He is not going to participate in any debates. He is not going to stop going to court in between going to various campaign stops. But I did speak to campaign advisors who told me exactly what they were looking at here in New Hampshire. And that's essentially how to stop Nikki Haley from rising in the polls. And they say it's twofold. They believe the people who support Nikki Haley here in New Hampshire are independents or moderate independents or left-leaning independents. So essentially what we have seen is that they launched a series of ads, one, hitting Haley on immigration. I am told that that was to solidify the Republican base around Donald Trump. They believe that is the number one issue here in New Hampshire for Republican voters. The second part of that, we are now seeing advertisements hitting Nikki Haley on Social Security. That is meant to target independence, to stop her from growing, gaining any momentum with independence. So interesting to see how that works. Now, despite the fact that Trump's team says that he is leading in the polls here in New Hampshire, according to their internals, I will note he did up the number of events he had as we started to see Nikki Haley creep up in the polls. Really interesting. Thanks so much for all that reporting. I hope you get to go inside, although it really is pretty out there. Kristen, thank you. Now to South Carolina, where I don't think it's snowing. Governor DeSantis flew directly there from Iowa this morning. CNN's Diane Gallagher uh, is joining us. You were at that event. What was Governor DeSantis's message today, Diane? Diana, just the fact that Ron DeSantis is here in South Carolina and not in New Hampshire could be seen as a dig at Nikki Haley, going to her stomping grounds, deviating from that traditional primary path, heading straight to New Hampshire after Iowa. The stump speech in Greenville was light on discussion of the Hawkeye State, a couple jokes about the weather. But there was plenty of mention of his second-place victory when it comes to uh, comparing himself with Haley, which his speech was heavy on. He took direct aim at her tenure as governor here in the Palmetto State. Like Haley, look, she was governor here for six years. Can you name major achievements under her tenure? I mean, tell me if there are, because she hasn't been able to do it. She goes around and says that she's um, a champion for school choice. Did they do school choice when she was governor here? No. So his presence here in New, in South Carolina may also be a reflection of his polling in New Hampshire, though. Even campaign surrogates like a state senator, Josh Kimbrell, telling our Kit Marr that he didn't believe that New Hampshire was, quote, DeSantis country. He called it a moderate state, saying that he felt that the voters here in South Carolina were more comparable to those in Iowa. Now, DeSantis didn't, DeSantis didn't go that far when talking to the media, but he said he does expect to see the campaign spending more money in South Carolina uh, in the days to come. Remember, they don't vote here for another five weeks or so until late February. Uh, but he did note that he felt that South Carolina uh, was a friendly state toward him, that he said that it was also the bigger of the two states. DeSantis diminished Haley's support in her own home state, saying he wouldn't outright tell us, though, that he thought he could beat her here in South Carolina. Dana, we asked him twice. He would not directly attack Donald Trump, though he did seem to be uh, finding a way to spin how he's going to play that, that distant second place victory in Iowa, telling us that he 
he notes that there were roughly half of those voters who wanted someone other than Donald Trump. He also took aim at Nikki Haley, he said, refusing to debate him in New Hampshire. Diane, thank you so much for that. One Republican candidate last night was willing to acknowledge he does not have a path to the nomination. Vivek Ramaswamy ended his campaign after finishing fourth and quickly backed the winner. Earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. And this morning, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson ended his campaign, which was focused around opposition to Trump. No word yet on if he will be endorsing someone else. I want to bring in two great political reporters to talk about all of this, CNN's Jeff Zeleny and CNN's Omar Jimenez. Okay, I have um, a lot of things that I can sort of check off my box on things that I've done in covering politics. Starting a program called Inside Politics and having a candidate say hello to me while I'm introducing. Oh, and she's just got right there, by the way. Yeah, We're in, gonna real talk time, in a second, right in real time. Uh, that, was, that was a new one. Let's talk about the big picture, about what happened in Iowa before we move on to where we are now in New Hampshire. We just want to show our viewers what the map looked like after he was done. The uh, famous 99 counties that all the candidates and the, the sitting elected officials there try to reach. I mean, look at that. Look at that. All red. Only one that Nikki Haley won. And you know what? It was by one vote. 1,271 for Nikki Haley, 1,200 for 79, I should say. The votes are not yet certified. It was also in Johnson County, where Iowa City is, the University of Iowa, the most liberal county in Iowa. So the reality here is, uh, before we go forward and talk about New Hampshire, let's go back for one second. Donald Trump won Iowa because he was afraid of losing. I'm told that his advisors came to him during his state fair visit in August, mm. Senator Brad Zahn, and said, sir, you could lose this state wow. if you don't focus more if you don't come here more. So beginning after Labor Day, we saw him travel there more, certainly not as much as a DeSantis or, or a Nikki Haley, but he campaigned for a former president in places that former presidents do not go. He took his motorcade through smaller towns. He called individuals. So it looked like from the outside he was parachuting in, but this was by design yeah. and his ground game was key. But look, it was a landslide victory, no doubt. So the headline out of yesterday into New Hampshire is that Donald Trump is on the cusp of really uh, continuing his grip on the party, but not just yet. Yeah. We've seen history show that New Hampshire likes its own say. Yes, uh, that is true. What great reporting about what happened about uh, that made him really focus there. And it certainly paid off. Omar, right. I mean, just look at the demographics that he won. Almost all of them, Republicans, independents, conservatives, men, women, urban, suburban, rural, 30 to 44 year olds, 45 to 64 year olds, 65 White evangelicals, it goes on and on and on, but I just do want to underscore college graduates and non-college graduates. The college graduates part, uh, like some of the other uh, demographics in here that he won, is um, historically not his strongest suit, but he won them last night. Well, and it will be interesting here, to, to piggyback off of what Jeff said a little bit, to see if that dynamic continues here, where if Trump feels that they could lose New Hampshire, we already know that they've added a number of events over the past few weeks in this particular state. We've seen Nikki Haley surge in the polls, of course. And the interesting thing about New Hampshire, an opportunity that she has here that she didn't get in Iowa, you have 
undeclared, as, as they're called, independents that are able to vote here. Democrats can switch and become undeclared for the primary process. You also have Republicans that can vote, which, by the way, includes moderates. And when you look at some of those entrance poll numbers, while Trump dominated across so many demographics, including those that identified themselves as conservatives, those that identified themselves as liberal, uh, yeah. as moderates, Nikki Haley swept there. Yeah. And so trying to, if she can bring together the coalition of those in this state, if there's enough of them out there, that's that's a major question, to get over Trump, then she can make some real noise here. You, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's show our viewers exactly what you're talking about, Omar. Moderate and liberal uh, people who described themselves that way in the entrance poll last night. Nikki Haley did get 63%, uh, far more than Donald Trump and certainly everybody else. Uh, I should also add that Ron DeSantis did win one specific demographic group, 17 to 29-year-olds. Uh, it wasn't as much of a decisive win for him as Nikki Haley and the other, but it was still a win in that demographic. I mean, these are very granular demographics. But going back to Nikki Haley and the moderates and liberals, her argument, and we're probably going to hear it when I talk to her soon, is that's why I should be the nominee, because I can appeal beyond the Republican base. The challenge that she has is getting beyond the Republican primary, especially with somebody as dominant as Donald Trump. But her strongest argument is that she believes she's the most electable against President Joe Biden. But to get there, you have to win this primary. And New Hampshire is not the laboratory for the Republican primary. It just isn't. But Dan, I was struck by the last time we were together, um, aside from flying her overnight, was when she said last night at her rally, she said that uh, I'm the last best chance of stopping the Trump-Biden nightmare. So she's trying to conflate the two here. So that's her argument going in. We woke up here this morning. She's running that ad on television. Yeah. So that clearly is her point. But uh, despite her her uh, her movement here, the math still is challenging for her in terms of how Republicans pick their presidents. Mm -hmm. There's only one month to go before basically it becomes winner take all in terms of delegates. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. New Hampshire voters uh, um, have a uh, you know uh, demand respect, and they are going to make yes. their own choices here. Okay. Stand by. We're going to come back to you a little bit later because, as you've seen, she's been walking around. Nikki Haley is here, uh, along with the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. They're going to be here. We're going to talk to them live after a short break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. 
Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. Let's get right to my next guest. Joining me now is Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley and her top backer here in New Hampshire, the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. Nice to see you all. That was pretty funny when you came up and you didn't realize we were starting the show. I had no idea you were doing that, but we're always thrilled to be in a diner and talk to some people. It's a great day in New Hampshire. We're super excited. Thank you. Good to see you, Governor. See you. Um, I do want to start with what happened in Iowa last night. Donald Trump won 98 of the 99 counties. He won registered independents, college-educated men and women, non-college-educated men and women, the cities, the suburbs, the rural areas. Can there be any doubt that right now the Republican Party is Donald Trump's party? Look, I mean, Iowa's always been a pro-Trump state, and we knew that going in. I was thrilled at the fact that we just wanted to come out strong. And the idea that we were able to come out of there strong enough to come into this state was all we needed. Because we knew if we could do that, then it's a two-person race coming into New Hampshire. And it's a two-person race going into South Carolina. So it's exactly where we want to be, and it's exactly what we expected. We always knew that Trump was going to get a high number there. That big? Yeah. That's historic. No, I mean, I think it's Iowa. It's a very... There's effectively three people in the race, right? It's not one of these races where there's seven people in the race. Um, He's effectively the incumbent, if you think of it that way. So the incumbent president barely could get 50% of his own base voters? I don't know. I don't think that's... I think that's a huge opportunity for America saying, let's move forward with something new. But, you know, we're putting Iowa in the, in the rearview mirror. I mean, now it's New Hampshire and it's go time. We've got a week to go and, and do that. But I've been campaigning here for 11 months now. And so we're ready to kind of just finish this off and get it. And we're a stone's throw away from him. Governor, is New Hampshire going to correct what Iowa did last night? Uh, look, Iowa's Iowa, New Hampshire's New Hampshire. Um, we're always forward looking. Let's say that. New Hampshire always is always forward looking into the next generation of leadership for this country. Um, on the Republican side, on the Democrat side, this is always what we do. And this year, everyone's galvanizing because you, you've, you've never needed it more, right? We're so tired of the same old thing, the chaos, the drama on both sides. Everyone wants this to, to be the Nikki Haley race. And this is our opportunity. America is waiting to say, oh, wait, it's a, it's a one-on-one race. Oh, wait, tr- it's not a fait accompli for, for Donald Trump. Why is he attacking her so much? Why is he so scared? Why won't he get on a debate stage? I mean, Nikki Haley would debate Donald Trump right here, right now, today, if he had the guts to do it. So he's scared. He knows that it's a one-on-one race. And he knows that if you have that mentality going into Super Tuesday, anything's possible. Can I just push back? Because if I'm Donald Trump, I look at those results and say, it's not a one-on-one race. It's it's me, and then everybody else is so far in my rearview mirror, I can't even see him. Dana, what are the polls showing here in New Hampshire? What are the polls showing here, showing in South Carolina? And look at the big poll that matters. 75% of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. The majority of Americans don't want either one of them. I mean, are we really at the point that we're gonna put two 80-year-olds as our options? I mean, with all due respect, that's fine, but we need to move forward. And the fact that both of these guys put us trillions of dollars in debt, ran up our inflation, and our kids are never gonna forgive them for that. And then you go a step further and look at what they're doing. While we're trying to move forward with issues that matter on inflation and education and border and and law and order and, and these wars around the world, what are they talking about? They're having to deal with investigations, they're talking about the past, they're not moving forward and they're not showing a vision. So that argument, certainly has resonance when you look at the, the broader electorate. 
But the process is what it is, and you have to win the Republican primary first. And just last night, as an example, when you look at the demographics, the only area that you won is with, was with moderates and, in, and independents, sort of the more liberal side of the spectrum, and even some who aren't Republicans. How do you win a Republican contest when that is the area in which you're winning? I mean, first of all, I, I think it's interesting that there were 14 candidates in the race. We were at 2%. Y'all didn't give us the time of day. And we come out of there with 20% and come into New Hampshire where there's like a six point difference between me and Trump. And we're gonna talk about how do you do it? We're gonna do it here in New Hampshire. We're gonna do it in South Carolina. We're gonna do it in Governor, Governor DeSantis is uh, coming here tonight for a CNN town hall, but he just did an event in Governor Haley's state. Uh, what does that tell you as governor of New Hampshire? He knows, again, he, he's going to come into the New Hampshire and try to placate, but he knows he's in single digits. It's embarrassing. He's pulled all his money. He's pulled all his people. He hasn't been here in a month. So he's given up on New Hampshire. He made that very clear, which is why, again, it's a two-person race between Nikki and Trump. So he doesn't want to be completely embarrassed, I suppose, and, and so he's going to come up and do a town hall here and there. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have the ground game. He doesn't have the connection. He's not doing the retail stops, engaging with voters, taking any question at any time over the next six or seven days. That's exactly what Nikki's going to do, because it's not about Donald Trump. It's about what we're doing to bring opportunity for the rest of the country. And that starts with the voters. Your home state, South Carolina, doesn't vote for a month. Did he just go to troll you? I mean, look, I, it really doesn't matter to me why he went there. I'm sure he had a great time. South Carolina is a great state. But he's in single digits in South Carolina and single digits in New Hampshire. He's been invisible in both states. He is not my concern. I'm going after Trump. That's what I'm saying. And I'm doing that not for personal reasons, but the fact that I don't want my kids to live like this. At some point, something's got to give. People are tired of the division and the chaos. We can't go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. When you say you're going after Trump, is your message going to change? Is it going to sharpen here more than you have in the past, given the fact that you are much closer, as you said, in the polls, all of the polls here in New Hampshire than you were well, I think you have to look at, you know, when there were a lot of candidates, your focus is kind of getting the field down. But now, when we know it's a head-to-head, -head, you heard me last night say, look, we have a choice. Are we going to do more of the same or are we going to go forward? And more of the same is not just Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. Both of them are exactly the same. They're both in their 80s. They both put us trillions of dollars in debt. They both are dealing with investigations that are distractions. They both constantly are showing us they have no vision going forward. This is not about personalities. This is about the fact that America deserves better. Let's make that happen. Yeah, look, I think, you know, when I'm out, out the, there are two issues that people are driving on. Number one is Social Security, mm -hmm. right? It's going bankrupt in 10 years. That's an automatic cut in your benefits coming about 22% in 10 years. Trump says he'll do nothing to save it. I, we, have a, we're one of the, we have a lot of elderly in the state. We're one of the older states in the country. Nikki's the only one talking about how to uh, shore that up, make sure you don't lose benefits, and make sure to, that we're going to fix Social Security. That's a huge issue with folks. The other one is economic discipline. Right? We're a very frugal state. We don't have taxes here. We don't want you taking our money. And we sure as heck don't trust Washington spending our money. Nick is the only one saying states have to have more control. Voters have to have more say. In the live free or die state, that goes a long way. Governor Sununu mentioned Social Security. Our, uh, my colleague Kristen Holmes was just reporting that Donald Trump is already going up with new ads hitting you on Social Security because you are saying that something needs to be done uh, and on immigration, which is obviously 
obviously a very potent issue. I mean, both of those, yeah. they're false ads. And he started spending millions even before Iowa happened because he saw what we see. I mean, first of all, the, there's a border ad that says I'm against the wall. No, actually, I said you can't just do a wall. You've got to go and defund sanctuary cities. You've got to put troops on the ground. You've got to go back to remain in Mexico. I gave all that. When it comes to Social Security, he's saying I want to kill Social Security. It's quite the opposite. What I've said is I want to make sure that there's something there for our kids, and I want to make sure everybody gets what they're promised. And and so you do that by acknowledging that there is an issue. You don't put your head in the sand like the other candidates have said they're going to do. You go as the accountant me saying, get in front of it. Let's go to the kids in, our, in their 20s like mine and tell them we're going to change the rules for you. We're going to change the retirement age to reflect life expectancy for you. Change the cost of living increases to be increases on inflation. Let's expand Medicare Advantage plans. Let's limit benefits on the mega wealthy. That's how we'll get Social Security back on track. You said this morning there have been five debates in the Republican primary so far, and the next one you do will either be against Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Just to put a finer point on it, you're not going to do a debate here in New Hampshire unless Donald Trump is on the stage. I mean, that's who I'm running against. That's who I want. That's at the end of the day, he's the front runner. He's the one that I'm seven points away from. He's the one that we're fighting for. There is nobody else I need to debate. I have had five strong debates and have done plenty of them. He can't hide forever. At some point, he's got to get on a debate. Have you stage. told ABC put out a statement saying that uh, they want you to tell them officially by five o'clock today. Have you already done that? They are very aware that I've said, is Donald Trump going to be on that stage? They don't need to be asking me. They need to be asking him. Mm -hmm. If he's on that stage, I'm there. Is that the right move? Absolutely. Look, absolutely. This is a one-on-one -on -one race. Donald Trump is chicken. He won't get on the stage. He's afraid to be called and, and, and asked questions. He doesn't want to engage with voters. He's assuming that it will all turn out fine. Now, when he realizes it's not turning out fine, that's why the attacks come. They'll throw anything they can at, at Nikki. But with her background and experience, she's tough as nails. Um, I'm sure if Donald Trump wanted to debate, Nikki would be there literally right now. And if he if he weren't so chicken, he'd get on the stage. Man well, up. Where he is now is uh, in a courthouse in New York. <laughs> and I want to ask you about that. He actually chose to be there. He's already been found liable for defaming Eugene Carroll, who accused him of raping her 30 years ago. A jury found him liable for sexual abuse. And this trial that he's attending today is about damages uh, that he must pay her. You're the only woman in this race. How do you feel about your party's front runner being held liable for sexual abuse? I mean, first of all, I haven't paid attention to his, his cases, and I'm not a lawyer. All I know is that he's innocent until proven guilty, and when he's proven guilty and he's sitting in a courtroom, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You've got investigations on Trump and Biden. But a lot of people, forgive me, but a lot of people uh, in the Republican Party blow it all off and say, that it's all a witch hunt and which is because what I he think says. some of the some of the cases but this have case been political. In particular? This one I haven't looked at, but look, if he's found guilty, then he'll he needs to pay the price. He needs to do what he's supposed to. Every one of these cases, they need to be heard out. He needs to defend himself. If he is found guilty, he's gonna pay the price. If he's not found guilty, then we move forward. What I will tell you is I'm focused on the economy, the border, and education, and getting our country back on track. If he's sitting in a courtroom, that goes back to what I'm saying. We can't continue to be distracted. We can't continue to be in chaos. We have a country to save. Yeah. And Governor, what you've seen, you're both Governor, Governor Sununu, what you've seen is that these uh, court cases have, in the short term at least, benefited him with Republican uh, caucus goers, with Republican primary voters, at least in polls. So that's part of the reason why 
he plays it up and he goes to this hearing today that he doesn't have to be at. Look, obviously he plays the victim every time. I, I'll say this on the court cases, they, the, the average American voter, it's massively confusing. They're not following them and they're not going to the ballot boxing. But but I'm going to vote because of that case and that potential outcome. That's not really part of the equation. People want to know how you're going to save their Social Security. They want to know how they, you're going to get inflation down. They want to know, my goodness, I could have an accountant in the White House that actually has fiscal responsibility and treats my hardworking dollar with the respect that it deserves. Trump never did that. Trump borrowed seven trillion dollars. That's inflation, everybody. Inflation comes from one thing, overspending and overprinting money in Washington. He has to be held accountable. Biden has made it 10 times worse, there's no question. But as a, as a Republican, he didn't fulfill on the mission that a lot of us sent him to Washington. One to, final question. Uh, as you've been describing, New Hampshire is a little bit different, a lot different when it comes to the demographics. Independents can vote here, for example. It's different from all the other context, contests going forward. Are, are you confident that even if you do well here, you'll have the staying power, particularly in a Republican electorate that voted the way it did for Donald Trump so overwhelmingly? Are you talking about South Carolina? I'm talking about South Carolina. Well, well, let's start with South Carolina. Yeah, no, because I mean, what I can tell you is this is South Carolina is the state that elected the first female minority governor in history. So I know South Carolina knows what I did. Mm -hmm. We turned that state around and they're very grateful. But South Carolinians are tough. They want you to earn it. They want you to fight for it. They're watching what I did in Iowa. They're going to watch what happens in New Hampshire. And if we can be strong in New Hampshire, we're going to end up, we're going to be even stronger in South Carolina. It's state by state. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint, but it's one that I'm going to continue to be in. We continue to move up in the polls. Everybody else is going down and we're going to end up saving this country. We have to. Governor Haley, Governor Sununu, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up, the inside scoop on how to win over New Hampshire voters with a veteran Republican strategist. Stay with us. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. With the New Hampshire primary just one week away, I want to welcome an expert in all things New Hampshire. Jim Merrill was a campaign strategist for Marco Rubio in 2016 and Mitt Romney in 2012 here. Nice to see you. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Uh, I know you just heard the governors, the, uh, the candidate in particular, uh, Nikki Haley. Was there anything that you think that she said that will particularly resonate or not resonate in this really important state. Yeah, listen, I, I think that we've got a week left here. And what she uh, she telegraphed just now is she's committed to New Hampshire. And she made a commitment early on to New Hampshire that I think has distinguished her from the field and what gave her the foundation of support she needed to be in position here. She's, you know, she's in shouting distance of Trump here. This is a race and she's committed to working it, you know, over the last, you know, seven days here. So that energy, I think, is what is going to be the takeaway for New Hampshire voters. And of course, we can't uh, lose sight of the fact that Donald Trump did just win in Iowa. He, he crushed everyone else. It was an historic win. 98 of the 99 counties uh, doing well in almost, not just doing well, winning in almost every demographic, including those that he almost never does well in. How does that um, play here or does that bode either for or against him or others here 
Meaning how much of a mirror is it? Right. Well, I mean, as you know, Dan, I mean, the states are very different. The electorate's very different. The process is very different. So, you know, I think everyone knew going into Iowa, we all knew what the result was going to be. He was going to win and win handily, and he did. New Hampshire is an open primary. The undeclareds, or independents as you call them, uh, have a chance to participate here. That's a different demographic. The issue set is different here as well. And so I think that, you know, Iowa was an important race for Donald Trump. He did very well here. Give him credit to there. Give him credit where it's due. But uh, in New Hampshire, Nick Nikki Haley has laid the groundwork to succeed. She's in striking distance. I saw a new survey today that had it tied up at 40. You know, we'll see. And plus, you know, you just saw with Governor Sununu, she's got a heck of a home run hitter to uh, be with her these last seven days. Well, you know, one of the things that made Donald Trump's victory so strong wasn't just who he is and why they like him, but it's that unlike 2016, he had a really serious Absolutely. organization and ground game there. How much is Nikki Haley going to be helped with Chris Sununu. I mean, he's a lame duck governor. Um, they know they have to run every two years, but does his ground game exist and will that help her? Does he have the infrastructure to help her? Well, I think, first of all, she has that infrastructure. She's really made an investment in New Hampshire over the last 11 months that we've seen here. You know, we saw her beginning to take off here before she had strong debate performances, before Governor Sununu's endorsement. Uh, so lay over top of that AFP's support. As we know, AFP has been supporting her here, and they've got a really impressive ground game in place now for Nikki Haley. And then overlay that with Chris Sununu, who's the most popular Republican of his generation. And I think she's going to have the grassroots, re grassroots resources she needs to, um, you know, to hopefully pull this thing out from her perspective. Because AFP was on the ground for her in Iowa and didn't seem to help much. I mean, who knows? I shouldn't say that. Maybe she would have. Well, I think done. it probably did help Dana in yeah. the sense that, you know, no one expected her to do well there. I mean, look, Ron DeSantis made a strategic decision a few months ago to put his eggs in the Iowa basket. That was a tough result for them last night. I don't think anyone expected Nikki Haley to do too well there. I, I want to go back to uh, your experience that I mentioned introducing you. You, you did work on Marco Rubio's campaign here. And in Iowa, we were looking at the Rubio counties, the counties yeah. where Rubio won in uh, or did well in in, uh, in 2016, because that could be potentially where Nikki Haley would do well. Do you see similarity in terms of the kind of voter she's going for? And if so, what did you learn working in the Marco Rubio campaign when he didn't do well here against right. Donald Trump that she could uh, learn a lesson from. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, her focus is going to be on, you know, Hillsborough, Rockingham County, really conquered South. That's where the, the lion's share of the Republican vote is. And there are a lot of suburban communities there, where, you know, really strong Republican towns. Most of the top 20 Republican towns in the state are conquered South. So that's Manchester, Nashville, then out towards the seacoast. And so I think she has an opportunity to do well in those yeah. communities that, you know, suburban voters that resonate with her. I just want to show one uh, piece of data from last night, and I want to get your take on it. The entrance poll showed 65% of Republican caucus goers said, yes, Donald Trump is fit for presidency, even if he is convicted of a crime. 31% said no. To you, which is the most significant, impactful figure, the yes or the no? I think the yes. I think the yes, which you know, suggests that uh, you know, Donald Trump has a lot of support. You know, it's a little bit uh, lesser here in New Hampshire, but look, he still has a really high floor. Uh, he's been in the low to mid 40s all the way through. So there's a uh, there's a lot baked in with Donald Trump. People you know like him. I think we saw with Chris Christie, um, you know, he, he took a frontal assault on Donald Trump every day here. It got him 12 percent uh, in a retirement effectively. So I, I think it's been difficult for the non-Trump candidates to find a message that really resonates there. But that's 65 percent in Iowa. I think it'd be less in New Hampshire, but it's still significant. Jamero, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan.
And ahead, fresh off his big win in Iowa, as I was talking about with Governor Haley, Donald Trump is back in court today. A jury is set to determine how much he will pay in damages for defaming columnist E. Jean Carroll, who's accused him of sexual assault. Stay with us. Right now, Donald Trump is back in court for a second defamation case against him. A jury will decide how much he must pay for defaming columnist E. Jean Carroll, who's accused Trump of sexual assault. It is a very different scene from last night's victory address in Iowa. I want to bring in CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig. So, Ellie, just to be clear, because obviously there's a lot swirling and this is a bit complicated because it's a civil trial. He was found liable for abusing, uh, for abusing E. Jean Carroll, and now the question, among others, is what the damages will be, and that's part of what is happening in the court, correct? In the, in the hearing today, I should say. Right, Dan. Yeah. So this is actually a second trial, and here's why: Donald Trump made two separate sets of defamatory comments about E. Jean Carroll. The first was while he was president in 2019. The second set of comments happened after he was president. Now, the trial that happened last year had to do with that second set after he was president. The trial that's happening now has to do with the first set, which happened while he was president. And the reason that one's been held up is that Donald Trump was arguing that he was immune from civil lawsuit because it happened while he was president. And he argued it was within the scope of the presidency. The appeals courts rejected that argument, but that caused a couple year delay, which is why we're now having this second trial. And he continues to attack Eugene Carroll on his uh, website, on his social media platform, he called her a whack job. He said the trial was a rigged deal. More recently, on January 6th, while campaigning in Iowa, he said that Eugene Carroll had faked her story. How does that play into his case? Well, it hurts his case. It's self-destructive by Donald Trump. And the judge has told him this. The judge has said that all these comments that he makes every day, they're all fair play for the jury. And this jury, Dana, the only issue they're deciding is how much money Donald Trump has to pay E. Jean Carroll, how much Donald Trump's comments have damaged E. Jean Carroll. So every time he piles on more commentary, he could be piling on to this damages award. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is not a criminal case. This is a civil case. Uh, and you tell me what that means when it comes to the requirement or not for him to be sitting there as he is today. Yeah, so big difference. In a criminal case, the defendant has to be physically present in the courtroom. We will see that play out later when Donald Trump goes on trial for his criminal cases. But in a civil case, it's voluntary. It's up to the parties. Now, the parties, plaintiffs or defendants, often do choose to be in court. It makes an impression on the judge and the jury. But to be clear, it seems quite clear that Donald Trump's motivation here is political and PR. The best way to tell that is that when they had the first trial where E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump, he didn't step foot in or near the courtroom or the courthouse. And now he's choosing to do this. So I think there's clearly a political thought behind it. Uh, I think that's probably very, very fair to say. More than one political thought behind this. And much of the other uh, moves that he's making when it comes to his legal, uh, legal troubles. Thank you so much, Ellie. Appreciate your insight. Thanks, Dana. And right. we are live from New Hampshire. This is, thank you. This is Inside Politics, and we will be right back. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.